1: You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars,
0: used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you
1: wait. AutoTrader. Coming up, Lav and I dole out our 2020 PGA Tour Awards. Welcome. The Golf Central Podcast brought to you by the new P770 from TaylorMade. Why practice the draw if you've got a fade? If you can hit it high, why master the stinger? Because the key to better golf is having options you can count on. That's why TaylorMade took everything they learned, making P790, the forged face, the speed foam and all its DNA, and put it into a smaller package. Introducing P770. Let the sibling rivalry begin. Available at your local golf retailer or TaylorMadeGolf.com. Use promo code Golf Channel for free two-day shipping on any order. Lab, we've made it to that point where we're doling out awards. I feel like we should Thank God. in front of a large audience who are socially distanced because that's what we do in this day and age. But I feel like we should have a, a big orchestra and there should be fancy music and we should be dressed up just like our producer Simon is right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought we were going to have to hand out awards in like late March because we were just going to be shut down for the rest of the year. So the fact that we actually had so dark. six months of golf, uh, to watch and to cover and to write about and to talk about on this podcast and every other medium imaginable, uh, was certainly a win. So, so, uh, I think Jay Monahan, the PJ tour staff, uh, the other tours, the LPJ tour, the European tour, the PJ tour champions, corn fair tour, everyone who got golf off the ground when it seemed like that would be an imprudent thing to do, uh, deserves a lot of credit because I think nine months ago, none of us thought we'd even get to this point.
1: I feel like you just did what everyone does in an awards show, which you get on stage, Ramble you panic, on. you thank, yeah, you thank everybody in the phone book, and then they have to play you off stage to make sure you shut up on time. So we we appreciate you sticking with the theme. I, I just wish we had the actual music to play you off stage, but since you've already sort of opened the lid, I'm going to lay it out there. We'll start with best player. Who you got?
2: Oh well, this one's obvious. The one and only answer is it's Dustin obvious. Johnson. I I know I know. Last week you were trying to make a case for Webb Simpson. Uh, which was a little mm-hmm. bit foolish, but, but, but just, just for, just for humor's sake, I I looked back at the Monday scramble article that I write every year, kind of wrapping up what last year was 2019 previewing 2020. And my prediction for best player was Justin Thomas. And the reason that I used in predicting Justin Thomas for 2020 was that he had a wrist injury in the middle of the year. And, you know, he was still great in all the strokes gain categories. And I, and I, and I said, I even wrote this, all the pieces are in place for a three or four win season. Now, if we look at the record books for 2020, what Justin Thomas accomplished, he had two wins in the calendar year, but he also lost in a playoff and he had another second place finish. He lost some 54 hole leads. You were at both of these uh, at Sherwood for the Zozo championship and Mexico. And Justin Thomas is the first one to acknowledge and he's played terribly. He even used those words. I've played terribly on Sundays over my past four or five starts. And that's what he's going to be doing this offseason is looking at why that happens. Because he still thinks, Rex, a five, six, seven, eight, nine win season is still possible in this day and age on the PJ tour. So I'm going to go out on a limb again, Rex, and say Justin Thomas, best player for 2021. But indisputably, it is DJ's award this year.
1: I find it interesting that you talked for three minutes and two and a half minutes were trying to justify who you thought, who you predicted was going to be the best player in 2020.
2: And you, you gave a
1: good solid 30 seconds to the guy who actually gets both our votes, Dustin Johnson, hands down, Masters champ, pure championship winner, FedEx Cup, everything that goes into it. The one thing that as you kind of sort of quantify, you know, as we get towards the end of the season and you start writing these columns and you, you're looking back, uh, points gained in the official World Golf Ranking, 463 for DJ this year. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I know that's 100 more points than anyone else. I mean, the next closest is, is more than 100 points away, which leads to me to believe that he was that much better than everyone else in 2020, which is odd. I was doing a, a radio interview this weekend, and it was brought up to me that just a few weeks before he wins the green jacket, he had COVID. All those things we were terrified about, all those things that we were worried We're going to bring the PGA Tour to a screeching halt. He endured it. He sat out. He did his time. He came back, and he wins the Masters. I think he's sort of a a good sort of parable, so to speak, when it comes to looking what golf was in 2020, that you had these ebbs and these flows, and he certainly came out on top. We only had three of them, so the list is a little bit easier to pick this year. What was your best major?
2: I'm going to go with the U.S. Open. Um, I thought there was some – Caused by the USGA in terms of making the fairways too narrow and a little bit firm, and so guys were missing fairways if they hit at 270, and they were also missing fairways if they hit at 330. And it, by the end of the week, it became a pretty significant advantage if you're a guy like Brooks or uh, Matthew Wolf, who who kind of tangoed uh, in the in the final round there. Um, but the reason why I'm picking the U.S. Open for the best major this year was the fact that it felt like we were watching something truly transformative. I thought the way that the, the way that Bryson played, not just his power off the tee, but also the way that he was wedging it, I thought his touch on and around the greens, it felt like the dawning of a new era. And I think that's what both of us tried to capture uh, on Sunday night at, at Wingfoot, just that it, it, it felt truly transformative. I know it didn't have the back nine drama. It, it, they didn't have that at the Masters either. Um, but to me, that's the major that felt like I was writing something that, that truly felt historic and special. How about you?
1: And I enjoy wing foot. I mean, that's the one I was probably looking forward to the most simply because it's such an iconic golf course and you always end up with these moments, good or bad. You know, you can sit and you can think about what happened with Phil there. You can think about what happened with Jeff Ogilvy, You know, it came in, in both ways. Uh, but the one that stands out to me is the PGA Championship for a, a number of different reasons. First and foremost, it was very, very exciting coming down the stretch. It was tight. Colmar Kawa pulled off some incredible golf shots to win his first major. But the part that really stands out is – It was hard to imagine for a long time how we were going to get to that first major because of everything that was happening, because the entire schedule had been uprooted, because everything was changing, because there were so many moving pieces. And again, going back to we didn't know when it stopped if we could get started again. So just having that finished at that location, which, let's face it, it was always going to be difficult to hold a major, the first major back after quarantine in San Francisco which is a hot spot. They're, they're much, much tighter about their rules in, say, Florida and some other states. And for the PGA of America to just not do it, but to pull it off in some sort of fashion. I, I've said this, so I want to go on record. I didn't enjoy being there. It didn't feel right. I mean, and I don't, I hope I never get used to not having fans at a golf course, and I haven't. But that one being the first one back felt surreal and different and strange. And, you know, I just didn't like It left a bad taste in my mouth. That being said... When I talked to friends, when I talked to you, when I talked to people who weren't there, it was, no, the product was good. As a TV-only product, it was still very, very entertaining. So when you kind of sit back and look at it, uh, I think for all those reasons, it was by far the best major. Now, the best non-major. And, and Rex, I think
2: I, I think it's also important that the, the PGA of America deserves a lot of credit, too. And they they were the sure. guinea pig, and they developed a blueprint for how majors were going to look for the rest of 2020. I mean, the USJ was on the phone immediately with the PJ of America saying, how did you do it? We need to copy this. The, the Masters Tournament did the exact same thing in Augusta National, trying to find out what worked, what didn't, and they implemented that the remainder of the two uh, major championships in 2020. But I'm, I'm with you in terms of the excitement and the drama. I think some of the, the characters could have been a little bit better. I think that's w- what would have made the PJ Championship feel truly special. Uh, but there was some serious 2011 Masters vibes with just how many players were tied for the lead late on Sunday. So I, I think in terms of, of quality of event, it, it was certainly it was certainly up there in terms of best tournaments of the year.
1: Lav has his video turned off on our Zoom call, which leads me to believe you're in the flower room today, aren't you?
2: I am in the flower room. Yes. And It,
1: it embarrasses you. So you don't want any of us to see you in the flower room. Is that, that what this is really
2: about? Yeah, I think I think the words you described were uh, it looks like Lily Pulitzer threw up all over your walls. That's good. Uh, yeah, which, which which took which my wife took uh, great offense to, uh, but mm. yes, I am in the flower room and I apologize for any audio issues. At least at least it sounds better than when I was driving in the car on I twenty. Does it not? Couldn't sound any worse. Best non major. So I'm a little bit bitter about this one, Rex. I got to say, because yeah. i i cover the I cover the Northern Trust and it was an incredible performance by Dustin Johnson. He's our best player. If you. Uh, weren't listening to the podcast about three minutes ago. Uh, He he shot 30 under and he won by like 11 shots and it was just dreadfully boring. The very next week was my best non-major tournament of the year. And that was the BMW championship because how often do we get the numbers one and two players in the world dueling in a playoff? If you recall Rex, which I'm sure you don't, since you don't have a very good memory, DJ hold that marathon putt uh, to force overtime on 18 and then John Rahm poured in a 60 footer just an incredibly breaking putt uh to end up winning the event if there if there had been fans on site at olympia Fields, they would have gone absolutely ballistic but the fact that you have that drama that competition on that golf course olympia fields is a very underrated uh, former uh major championship venue that was set up really well as the u.s open preview to me that was the best non-major of the year and i don't think it was particularly close
1: uh, I do remember it, so I appreciate you taking a shot at my memory. But uh, and I'm sure that's a shot at my age as well. So, uh, yes, way to yes. go! Yeah, yeah, well, way to go, there, delicate flower. I appreciate it. Uh, take it easy, boomer. I think the the one that stands out to me for a little bit different reasons. I took a a little bit bigger picture was Colonial, and again, this goes back to the idea that we weren't such quite a sentimental.
2: Strict- such a sentimental pick.
1: I had, well, I mean, I think the whole year is going to be that. It's going to be sappy, right? Like, that's just not me. I don't feel comfortable doing this. But I just think being there and it was quiet and we, we just didn't know where we were going. We, we probably talked numerous times on this podcast about was Goff, you know, being the first one back. Was that the best idea? I mean, I felt like Goff had a good plan. But you, What's the great saying? Everyone's got a good plan to get punched in the mouth. And I, I think that I was afraid of what was going to happen if golf really got punched in the mouth and things went sour and we've seen it now in other sports, I don't think it was misplaced or misguided. I mean, you certainly look at college football right now and you wonder, what are we doing? Like, why are you even doing this? I mean, I understand money is, is the ultimate motivator here. They, they got to cancel never, it
2: now too. Once, once Georgia lost the sec East, I would just go ahead and cancel the rest of the college football season.
1: I felt like that was just, that was right after the Florida game. You came to that conclusion. That was weeks ago. Yes. That's an old, take I just figure. stopped, you just stopped. caring. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an old take. I expected that three weeks ago from you. But moving on, I just don't think uh, there was any kind of comfort level. Even on the PG- within the PGA Tour, there was no comfort level. I mean, Jay Monahan, the commissioner, talked about sleepless nights and staying up away, uh, late, worrying about what it, what it was going to be like. And then when we got there and we had a finish and it was quiet and there was no fans and it was weird, but it was still PGA Tour golf and everyone moved on to the next city. So it, for me, that was the best uh, non-major. Uh, what, what was your best moment of the year?
2: So for best moment, if you if you got sappy for best non-major tournament, I'm going to get oh sappy boy. for best moment. And for me, that was Dustin Johnson tearing up on the putting green at Augusta National oh, after winning I the Masters. I can't believe I thought I was, we were
1: going to do this without having the same pick. That's unbelievable. Oh, you got it? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, I was, I, was, I was standing right there, and I just I couldn't believe my eyes. I tried to capture it in the kicker of my game story, but it collapsing into Paulina's arms, just unable to speak, blinking back tears, pinching the brim of his nose. I mean, it was unbelievable. Andy Ogletree. Uh, the low amateur at the Masters was mouthing to Tiger, "Wow, here was this dude who just oozes jock swagger. He's just unbelievably competent, never betrays any sort of emotion. Could not spit it out in an interview with CBS." And uh, Tiger Woods, I'll never forget, it, leans over to Claude Harmon the third and and just says, whispers to him real quietly, "The green jacket will do that to you." Just looking at Dustin, unable to speak. So I think that moment right there, it was. Could have been more than a minute or two, and a lot of it was just silence because Dustin couldn't spit it out. I think that moment right there was more revealing about Dustin Johnson and what he cares about and how special that win was than dozen than a dozen years of interviews that he has done. So for me, that was that was the moment.
1: Yeah, we're used to emotion in this these situations, right? If you win your first green jacket, something you've coveted your entire life, there's going to be emotion that comes with it. That's why we want to be there. That's why we want to write those stories. That did not surprise me. That it came from him. As you pointed out, I mean, this dude is Teflon. I mean, nothing has ever stuck to him. I mean, he has just moved through life. Like, nothing seems to get under his skin. He didn't get bothered when he kept losing major championships. He didn't get bothered when people said that he didn't have what it took to win major championships. And every time that he would lose, everyone, we all speculate, oh, this is going to be the end. He's never going to recover from this one. And he recovered. And then he gets in a situation like this where Okay, he's going to handle this cool. I mean, he's not going to let any, he's not going to open up the cracks now. And to have it come out in such a raw moment and to have it come out in, again, in that surreal moment of no fans, no patrons around the 18th green, and yet it's still impacted in that way, I thought it was cool. I'm going to combine the next two categories, if the Academy will let me. We had best breakout performer and best newcomer. I'm throwing them into one, Colin Morikawa, two wins, six top tens, and that was just in the 2019-2020 season. Uh, Major championship. I think everything about his game just impressed me. He's not. You're going to talk about that class and and how much you see coming from them, but when you look at this player as a complete player, as a five-tool guy, whatever that might mean, he doesn't do what we we would expect. He doesn't knock the cover off the ball. He doesn't overpower golf courses. But the way he picked apart TPC Harding Park, the way he went head to head with Justin Thomas at the Workday event at Mirfield Village in a playoff, going, again, head-to-head with arguably the guy that I think both of us probably thought was going to be the player of the year. He is both the best breakout performer in my mind and the best newcomer.
2: So we, we did, we, you're right. We, we did have some hand-wringing over this. Uh, and, and I, too, chose Colin Morikawa for best breakout performer. I mean, you got to think of not just Morikawa, but also where Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolfer, 18 months ago they were in college. And you look at how the landscape has changed. Now, Morikawa is a major champion. He has three wins total. Victor Hovland, who just won the Puerto, uh, he won the Puerto Rico Open, and, of course, the Mayakoba uh, on Sunday. Wolfe uh, is the youngest of the group at 21 years old. I think that this was kind of a, a maturation year for him. He, he tied for fourth at the PGA and second at the U.S. Open. All three players now, Rex, are ranked inside the top 15 in the world. I think – Hovland and Morikawa in particular are going to be on that Ryder Cup team next year at Whistling Straits. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Matthew Wolf does enough to convince Steve Stricker that he deserves a spot too now that Stricker has six captain's picks. So I I do think Morikawa is the breakout performer uh, with Hovland and Wolf uh, running second. But for best newcomer, I think this is important. We got to give a shout out to Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris, Rex, is my best newcomer of 2020. Think about where he was early 2019, didn't have status on any major tour, ended up narrowly missing his card, trying to get through the PGA uh, Corn Fairy Tour finals, ended up having an enormous year on the Corn Fairy Tour. He was first in points. He won. He's virtually assured now of getting his PJ Tour card next fall through, just through the Corn Fairy Tour. And then what does he do this fall? Three top tens, including in the U.S. Open, and earns special temporary membership on the pga tour he's arguably the best iron player on the planet he's approaching wow. now top 50 encroaching top 50 in the world ranking which would get him in the masters next april even though he does not have a pga tour card it's it's unbelievable he's going to be a fixture on the pga tour for a long long time but to me he was the top newcomer of 2020
1: cool story very very good player but very very cool story so you're absolutely right i'll give you credit on that one. I added this one because I felt like we were going down that bad podcast, you know, best moment, best player, blah, blah, blah. So this one can be interpreted any way you'd like. Bad timing moment. And I had something in mind when I did it, but what are you thinking on that front?
2: So I had so I did two because I was like, oh, Rex is definitely what? gonna pick Dan. I was like, Rex is definitely gonna pick Daniel Berger. I mean, this is the guy who headed into the two. fourth swing, he had he had three straight top tens, and then the, the entire world shut down. And what happens in those three and a half months, apparently he got even better because he, he won the restart wins. event that you, that you uh, spoke. So, so uh, softly and gently about uh, at colonial. And he was hot all summer and he's now up to 13th in the world, but the kicker, oh. reps, the kickers that Daniel Berger did not qualify for the 2020 masters because the world ranking cutoff was back in March. And at that point, Daniel Berger was not yet among the top 50 in the world. Conversely, and I think this is really interesting if you want to get down a rabbit hole, Colin Morikawa was the guy who narrowly slipped into, in, into that top 50 cutoff on the final week of qualifying at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Can you imagine the uproar if Colin Morikawa wins the PGA Championship, is firmly among the top six or seven players in the world, and he's not at Augusta National? for the masters we were very close to having that happen thankfully we did not
1: there were there were some weird ones when it came like harris english comes to mind when it comes to that masters invite as well as he played and and i know augusta national needed to to do some sort of cutoff. they they had very very limited daylight so it's hard to to criticize but yes that that would have it it would have There had to have been some sort of workaround. If Morikawa does not find a way into the Masters, then something is simply wrong. No, when I did it, I was thinking more along the lines of, and if you ask me what I missed the most this year, more so than fans would be the Ryder Cup, simply because when we sit down in January and we talk about what what do we expect the biggest stories of 2021 to be, you and I both will list the Ryder Cup somewhere in our top three, simply because every time the Ryder Cup produces – drama it produces conflict it produces these wonderful victorious moments all of the things that we love
0: about sports crushing
1: defeat do
2: not forget the crushing, crushing defeat.
1: defeat and crushing defeat and snarky reactions and and all those again all those things that we, we love uh but the one that's so the one that stands out to me is not having the Ryder Cup this year it's anyone who was qualified for either Ryder Cup team this year and I specifically kind of went to the Europeans just to kind of see you know when their cutoff would have been had the Ryder Cup been played in September. And you're talking about someone like a Victor Perez who probably isn't really going to get a chance to play in another Ryder cup. You talk about Lee Westwood.
2: You don't think Victor Perez is going to have a chance to make a Ryder cup team.
1: He might, he might. I mean, he could prove me wrong, but here's a guy that's never played in one. And when you look at these types of windows and I've seen it too many times with younger players and he's a very, very good player. I'm not taking anything away. Victor
2: Perez is 28 years old.
1: It's hard. To qualify for the, these things it's hard ask i can go down the list ask von taylor how hard it is to qualify for these things when you get in one you think okay this is going to be the norm and when it's not that hurts and i just uh, probably lee westwood stands out on the other one simply because he is at an age where i don't lee know West how many fourth people. in the race to dubai standings right now i mean where do you think he's going to be at this point next year you think you think he's going to fall off a cliff in the next nine months? So, yes, I don't see enough in that game to lead me to believe that he is prepared to be dominant again, or, or even be good I'm enough sure he's, to he's keep himself dominant. On that team. I
2: think he's going to be. I think he's going to be good enough. And, and look, I think, I think you're. I understand your point, um, and I would counter by saying I think the European tour and the European team is largely going through a transition period now, where you yeah. have some of the old star, the old uh, stalwarts like. You can throw Westwood in that group who's, who's getting up there in age. But you look at Justin Rose, who had a really down year. Sergio Garcia, I know he won in the fall, but he didn't have a great year. Uh, Henrik Stenson has fallen off. Francesco Molinari was, was MIA for, for much of 2020. And so this sure. is a team that, that you're going to have some new blood in there. So I'm not sure that Victor Perez uh, is going to play poorly in 2021. Uh, I understand what you're saying, that, that maybe this was his one and only shot. I'm not ready to go there. Uh, but I do think I guarantee you one of those spaces. two people that I just
1: said will not qualify for next year's team. Something will happen. Well, they will drop out of the hunt and they won't make it onto the team. That to me is I bad think, time.
2: I think, I think Westwood is a better bet to make that team than Victor Perez. Yes. Victor Perez uh, is a have bet. I, th- I, think, I, think, I think Perez has to play his way on automatically and not rely yes. on a pick from, from Potty. Yeah. La- uh,
1: yeah. What well, Lee is much more. Likely to get a pick, although I'm not quite sure. I mean, listening to Podrick talk about how he wants to skew younger, it will be interesting. Uh, the next one I kind of threw out there, and I, it, this is more of a mea culpa, at least for me, the way I was looking at it. Most exaggerated moment, and, I, and on I this, have, pod- I have no idea. I have no idea
2: where you're going with this. So you're going to have to lead off. All
1: right, I'm going to throw mine out. I, that's why I was going to throw mine out first to get get an idea. On this podcast, I talked about uh when Bryson was on his run. This was before the U.S. Oh, Open. Yes about how he was going to roll the game up into a nice little neat ball and snap it over his knee and then eat it. Cause I just felt like he was doing things that we hadn't seen. And then we go to Wingfoot, And as you just talked about, it was such a really generational moment. I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but what he was able to do to that golf course is amazing. I mean, I think we're still all coming to terms and digesting it and trying to figure out exactly what it means. And then as we get a little bit more separated, a couple of things happened where I've gone back and been like, well, I was probably a prisoner of the moment on that front. One, Colin Morikawa, winning the PGA Championship, ranked 51st in the field that week in driving distance, and it kind of reinstated my faith in the game that, okay, you don't have to hit the cover off the ball. You don't have to eat 6,000 calories a day and do all of these things that Bryson is doing to win major championships. And the other one was a lot of people were willing to hand him the green jacket on Wednesday night of of Masters week. And he ends up finishing tied for 34th, and it wasn't a very good tie for 34th. And on a golf course where accuracy really shouldn't count as much as it should at at other major championship venues, he was so inaccurate off the tee that it absolutely destroyed him on on certain fronts. And I I just think that how far he goes with this experiment will still be interesting. It'll still be entertaining. We'll still dial in because we want to see it. However, I'm just not willing to say that he's ready to redefine the game just yet.
2: Oh my, I mean, there's just so much to digest there. I think we have to put a, we're going to have to put a pin in it because we got a, we had a 2020 wrap show. Look, we're going to, we're going to save Bryson at Augusta. And, and what exactly you thought went wrong there? We're going to have to put a pin in that one. Uh, of all the things that you should be apologizing for with those two players that you mentioned, you didn't even bring up the right one. I've said on this podcast repeatedly, both last year and even earlier this spring, that Colin Morikawa is going to be on the Ryder Cup team and that he should be on the Ryder Cup team. And you scoffed at it. And You said, oh, let's, you're, you're just like him. I mean, he's still not on the Ryder college. Cup
1: team. He still has some work to do. I mean, that, that's not a done deal he's, yet. He's I don't going think, to think you be can be take a, that victory lap quite yet.
2: He is going to be on the Ryder Cup team. So I think you were very, very wrong about Calmore College prospects. Secondly, you're not even apologizing for the right Bryson thing. You said that Bryson, just because he beat up the field in Detroit, that has no bearing on whether he's going to play well in a major championship. You even said this after bryson oh i wanted to see it at the P- at the pga at the pga they, that was that was validation of you still didn't buy in did you
1: not want to see it before you started just handing him the keys to the kingdom i think we all wanted to see it of course you wanted to see it and then but he at the, you, at the PGA, at you still weren't sold
2: you, you were not because no, he didn't win i mean no
1: he didn't win i mean yes he finished top 10 but all right well i mean that's that's good it and, was his and, first ever top 10 in a major all right. I, I don't know if, if I looked at way TBC Harding Park was playing. I, I don't think that's where I was putting accuracy matters. And I, we can go back and revisit all these conversations because the one I said was Wingfoot was the was the place that was the line in the sand. That's where he was supposed to. He was going to have to hit fairways if this experiment was going to work and he didn't. And it still worked. And that's that's when I said, OK, he's going to fold it up, break it over his knee and eat it.
2: Well, I, yeah, I mean, we already discussed the design flaws. We don't have to get back into that with yeah, yeah. the USJ and what they did. Uh, but I think you were, you were woefully incorrect on both those two players. For me, um, and I think we touched on this in a podcast, but if not, I, I saw it floating around. And, and I think the most exaggerated moment of 2020 was thinking that Phil Mickelson's success on the PGA Tour champions was somehow going to translate to success on the PJ tour, because because Phil oh, went two for two. You did that, didn't you? That's a thing that you yeah, did, isn't did. it? Yeah. Well, look, Phil, Phil went two for two on the senior circuit, but during that same span, he was no better than forty fourth in seven PJ tour starts. If if that's not proof to anyone listening to this that these are totally different competitions, the PJ tour and the senior tour, the fields, the course setup, the rough length, the nerves, and so. I'm of the opinion now, Rex, that I think Phil Mickelson's days of winning on the PGA Tour are probably over. He he might catch lightning in a bottle at Pebble one year, or he, he might just go silly low and win at Phoenix, do something like that. But I'm of the belief now, Rex, that Phil should go all in on the Champs Tour and try to become the best over 50 player ever. I don't think it's that unrealistic. Hale Irwin has the record with 45 wins. I think with Phil... If he can maintain good health, which throughout his career he almost always has, and his his long swing means long career, he can still absolutely smash that record. I think it's an opportunity and a reason why I think Phil should chase it is because he can finally be the best at something. Throughout his decorated Hall of Fame career, and he's a generational talent, he has never been world number one. He has never been PG Tour Player of the Year. He has never won FedEx Cup. This is an opportunity late in his career, late in life, at least his golfing life, that he can do something great. I think Phil should go all in on the PJ Tour Champions. Are you with me?
1: No, I'm not. Because it's not going to happen.
2: So you think Phil should just continue putting up T-44s at the Northern Trust? I don't, I don't think he should do that, but I think that's what's going to
1: happen because there's a competitive side of Phil that's just not willing to say that, okay, I can't do this. Now, maybe two, three, four years from now, he'll get to that point, and it will be interesting to think, think if he can come around to the idea that you just pitched, which I do find fascinating, which I could be the best ever on this particular tour and this thing, which probably means something to him after spending a generation getting his brains beat in by Tiger Woods like pretty much every, or every other player of that generation. However, I don't think he's anywhere near that. I just think there, there's an ego there. There's a competitiveness there. Yeah, he's not there yet. All right, we need to move this along. Most surreal moment in 2020 for you.
2: Uh, I'll be quicker, and it's because it's, it's kind of selfish. Uh, but for me, it's, it's covering an empty or a, a master's at an empty Augusta National. Selfishly, that's the best viewing experience imaginable. In normal times, it's so hard for us, especially someone who's five foot 10 to see on that golf course, but to be able to have free reign, standing right on top of the tee box at 12, watching whoever we wanted whenever we want it. That's an experience we'll likely never get, at least not like that. You know, I think when the Masters rolls around in 2021, it's going to be a slightly uh, advanced version of that. You might see five to 10,000 patrons, I think, fingers crossed for that. And it's not going to have the same energy and the same atmosphere as usual, but it's going to have more than we had this year. When Dustin Johnson tapped in on 18, there was maybe 300 300 people standing around the green, maybe 300. And so to be able to to say that I covered the 2020 Masters, that's something I'm going to look back on in my career really fondly, just because that's an experience we're never going to get again.
1: Standing behind 12 for like an hour listening to players and caddies talk and watching the shots they're trying to hit like that. I mean, we were right there. We were five feet away. You can never get that close. That was true entertainment. I'm with you. Mine goes a little bit earlier than that. And it was at the player's championship. It was obviously in March. It was the press. It was after the press conference where the commissioner had announced that the tour was halting operations because of COVID-19 and everything that goes into it. And you were there. I mean, it felt like, the bottom was dropping out. There was just sort of this weird silence and no one really knew what to do. And I remember finishing up the press conference and scrambling out of the front of the building. And I was kind of making my way over to where our live from set was to, to do a report. And as I walked by the back of the interview room, the commissioner, Jay Monahan was walking out and I was kind of apparently lost in thought and looking at my notes and not paying attention. And I, I walk right by him and he says, uh, Rex, it's not that bad. And I had to stop myself and, and look back at him and, and sort of shake my head like, in what universe is this man living that it's not that bad right now? That everything mm-hmm. that, that I believe in, everything that we work for, everything that we do is coming to a screeching halt and we don't know when it's going to start again.
2: That seems oh, pretty bad. That, to me is, at the time. That, that quote may have aged worse than any quote in 2020. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> thinking about the lives lost alone, that is a, that is a quote that's going to live uh, in infamy. And and, and, then, Well, in the commissioner's defense, I
1: think he was thinking more along the lines of, we'll get back to business. Uh, And and they have. And And they did. And they did a terrific
2: job. And they did a very, very good job. That that quote did not age well.
1: But it was just, for me, I I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I had to sort of stare at him for a second, like, oddly, like, Jay, what what are you looking at? In what universe do you feel like it's not... That bad. Uh, we'll finish up with this one, and oh, actually, we have two more. Uh, so this one is pretty easy. I'll go ahead and take it. Biggest disappointment. I think we might have the same person. For me, it's Tiger Woods.
2: When the yes, highlight of, of your year, year,
1: yeah. When the highlight of your year is defending your title at the Masters and then playing a silly season event with your son, which is cool. I'm looking forward to covering that event with he and Charlie, and it's going to be fun to go out and look at maybe a new chapter in Tiger's life. But when that's sort of the competitive highlight of the year, it's been a bad year.
2: And we're not sophisticated enough to patch in audio from the uh, season ending uh, recap that we did last year on the podcast, but I promise you that we were optimistic about Tiger's chances in 2020. I promise you we were just based on the way that he played at the Zozo, how he looked at the president's cup, you know, even with a limited schedule where he thought he wasn't going to probably play more than a dozen times. we, We thought for sure that he was going to get to 83 and probably contend in at least, well, at that, at that point, there were four majors, but at least contended one of them. And yeah, he hung in there through 36 at Augusta and then blew up on Sunday. Uh, but, but the majors were an absolute total loss. He's going to be 45 uh, later this month. I think it's obvious now just how finicky his back is and how it remains a day-to-day proposition, exactly how he's going to feel. And, and until that changes and that's never going to change, that's just the nature of a fused back. It's forecasting or predicting what Tiger's going to do is impossible because everything needs to align perfectly, not just his game, but his health, but his competitors like it, it all needs to be working in concert for him to win now on the PGA Tour and so I, that was really disappointing to come to, the, to that realization and just the fact that he absolutely stunk this summer without fans.
1: Now that is a professional transition right there. Cause I will go straight from that to, okay, let's predict then who will bounce back in 2021. Tiger Woods. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. Who you got?
2: I think Brooks is the easy answer. I think we saw some, some signs of life once he declared himself uh, uh, pain-free this year with both his knee and his hip. I think that was a, a revelation uh, that, that he was actually dealing with two pretty severe ailments at once. And a, and a hip to me is a, a whole lot more uh, concerning than the knee. So Brooks to me is the easy answer, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper with Francesco Molinari. We mentioned him as a player, kind of the old guard who's going to need to play well now to get back on that Ryder cup team. He's dropped from 18th to 100th in the world ranking. Now that's obviously because he didn't play uh, for six, seven months uh, held out the entire pandemic. He's going through a transition period. He moved his family from London to California twice. Uh, missed some major championships, So that's going to take some time for him to get settled. I'm really hoping that at age 38, st- you know, he's still young enough to, to put in the time. So I hope he comes back in 2021 reinvigorated, re-energized because he's such a machine when he's swinging it well. And he's, he's a perfect foil for, for some of these players, just because he's so, you know, he's, he's, he's like a metronome. He, he doesn't have the flash. He doesn't have the flare. But I, I like watching Frank, Frankie play golf, and I hope that he, he comes back and plays better because he's not the 100th best player in golf.
1: No, Frankie made golf interesting, and he is not an overly interesting person. We can both agree to that, that. Look, he's not one of the great interviews in the game. He's actually one of the more difficult interviews in the game, but it's fun when you can sit and watch Frankie be Frankie at a Ryder Cup or at the Open Championship like he was against Tiger Woods or, or all these really cool moments when you put this player that clearly should have everything going against him and somehow finds a way – you think you think it. Frank you think Frankie's a di- difficult interview, but you like Robert Streb's interviews. I, I like Robert Streb. No, no, no. Go back and listen. What I said is, I like Robert Streb. His interviews are terrible. I, I I've said this to him numerous times, so I'm not giving away any secrets here. He, he, he needs to do better, and I think some do people like do better. I think it's hard for some people. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and those of us who carry notebooks and talk to say, well, "Well, I just do better." Well, that's it's it's you know it's a skill. You and I, I can't hit a wedge like him, and maybe he just can't put together sentences like me. I don't know. Like, I, I can't be overly critical of someone. But you, like mean, his, you like his
2: company over dinner.
1: I, I very much like his company over dinner. He's a, he's a very thoughtful guy. Uh, to get back to my answer, Bounce Back 2021, Robert Strepp. No, uh, I think I, I'm going to have to go with Brooks. It's a big if, but it's only. I said, only if I you said that's get.
2: the easy answer.
1: That's the easy answer. And I, and I wrestled with this one for all the reasons you just said. If he gets right physically, and we all know that's a big if. I wanted to say a Gary Woodland, but very, very similar situation. You when we Tiger Woods being the the primary example here, right? I mean, that's the acme of foolishness right there where if he can get right. Well, we have said that about Tiger Woods for a decade now, and sometimes he is right, and he does special things like he did last year at the masters and and sometimes we end up with seasons like we've had right now. I'd like to think that Ricky Fowler is going to figure it out. I mean, here's the player who, is tumbling outside the top 50 right now in the world if you would have if we would have had this conversation last december i don't think either one of us would have been able to predict that one but of all those of those three players even frankie i even put in i feel like brooks has the easiest path back because he has overcome these types of injuries before or injuries before and even though the hip injury is serious and i think he is going to hold off on doing anything drastic like having surgery he is the athlete. He's the guy that will figure it out and use that as motivation. We've seen it time and time again with him to come back and come back stronger.
2: This is the first time, Rex, I think, in three years that I haven't named Jordan Spieth uh, as poised Aww. for a for a bounce back the following year. And the fact that I haven't said his name kind of kills me a little bit. I I I think I just died a little inside. But I makes me sad. But I think unless something drastic happens, just some kind of change in direction that I don't I don't see a turnaround I mean you gave the guy three and a half months to to sort things out and he 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 still wasn't the same player this summer uh, and fall makes me really sad
1: I would still say the metaphor that you saw at Augusta between him and DJ was probably about the, the most fitting metaphor that any player has ever been able to put into a frame where you could frame this and do just a 30 second snapshot and, and post it out for the world to watch and be like yeah that guy's the world number one and that guy doesn't have any clue where the ball is going
2: yeah, very sad. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to even talk about it anymore.
1: Really, you're that. you that
2: depressed about it, huh? I, I mean, what do you. What do you think? What do you think Jordan Spieth's prospects look in 2021? Bleak. Ne- Neither one of us said. Uh,
1: well, the Jordan? fact that we did not listen. We didn't listen to him at list him as either the biggest disappointment or the possible for bounce back is probably where we think his game is at right now. That he's not worth mentioning in either one of those categories.
2: Oh, Jordan. I hope you have a great holiday. Just come, come back come back better than ever in 2021, because you're so fun to watch play golf. Look, I think people love watching Roy play golf because it's explosive and, and it's exciting. Jordan Speeds golf is just a nonstop roller coaster ride. He is, along with Roy, the best interview in the game. Give us Jordans that's, that's all I want for Christmas this year, Rex. I don't want this PK grill that I just bought. I don't, I don't want any any of the other grilling accessories that I have on my, on my wish list this year. I just want Jordan Spieth to be back playing championship golf in 2021.
1: I'm sure your wife will be happy to hear all of those things. Well, we will be back, if not next week, then the week after. So this is not our last episode, but we'll see you down the road. That was this week's Golf Central Podcast brought to you by Kim.